what's going on with dance and stuff what's happening with dance and things what's going on what's happening what's going on with dance and stuff hello um today's thursday yet again well yes for for four more minutes um it's eleven fifty six thursday night i just ate a bowl of what do they call it? It's a kind of fusilli, but not like the kind where it's like as if a cylinder of pasta's kind of been pushed through a spiraling tube, right? It's like the kind where as if you took a bucatini or some other round thick noodle and you coiled it. It's more like a coil, but it's like a fusilli. Anyways, I did that with, I cooked some anchovies and garlic and red pepper flakes and oil. And then I put in a can of oil packed tuna fish. And then when the noodles were just about cooked, I threw in a lot of peas to just f boil ever so briefly. And then I put the noodles and the peas into the oil and tuna and anchovy mixture and some of the pasta water and cooked it until the pasta water and the oil and everything else formed a kind of viscous sauce. And then I put pepper and good parmesan and yum yum yum. I ate it. And then I watched the end of an episode of Raised by Wolves, which I'm having trouble with this season. I was very excited about it the first season and this season which was clearly filmed um at least like a year and a half after the first filming of Raised by Wolves um is difficult I mean they've somehow tried to explain why one of the young children is now um had a big child with a changed voice and looking completely different. The wildly attractive male android has put on quite a bit of weight. It, I, I would say a significant amount of weight, though I think it's only significant because his costume is a latex or vinyl unitard. So it's odd that an android's body would change, but, you know, they didn't try to explain that. They didn't try, but it's okay. Anyways, I honestly don't really know what's going on with the show, and I know there's a huge floating serpent, and um, and the the necromancer person is not being a necromancer anymore, but she is feeding what she's calling pumpkins to the floating serpent, who is her baby. Who is her baby? Anyways, that's raised by wolves. I went to the ballet tonight because tonight was. Russell's last performance with Teresa Reichlin, who is retiring, uh, I believe, this weekend. And then next week will be Gonzalo's retirement. And it's really the end of an era. In this year alone, New York City Ballet has lost three dancers due to vaccination issues. They've lost... Gosh, Ralph Ippolito. Ralph, is that his last name? Yeah, I think so. 
Ralph decided to stop dancing with the company over COVID. He's doing, you know, more adult things, school, etc. Um, and then we've lost Abby Stafford and Ask LaCour and Maria Kurowski and we will be losing Gonzalo and Tess in the coming days and then in the spring season we'll be losing Amar and in the I think Sterling's gonna dance well actually I don't know maybe Sterling's gonna dance forever maybe Sterling will dance forever actually don't know I'm not sure but certainly Sterling and Sarah and are part of one of the final generations that are still in the company and then Megan Fairchild and Jared Angle are an even older generation I mean not generation is not the right word because these people are all just a couple or a few years apart at any rate um companies change there's all these beautiful promising young dancers who are out there really killing it killing it Emily Kikta did a wonderful choleric tonight full of energy and it was a really a whole new cast of um four temperaments with the exception of Gonzalo who was doing melancholic and Amar who was doing phlegmatic but Sanguinic was being danced by Ashley Hodd and Peter Walker and they did really well and um the opening themes seemed to be all new as well Jackie Bologna and Jonathan Fuhuri and the opening theme, second theme was, um, let me get my program. I don't know, it was Mimi Staker, is that her last name? Oh, Mimi Staker and Kennard Henson, and then the third theme was Miriam Miller and Alec Knight. Oh, everyone did very well. And then, and then there was an intermission. I was there with um, Meredith Webster, who's in town, um, helping Alonzo King stage a work at ABT. And she came to the ballet, and we had a nice time. We talked to Alan Barr and Jody Lee Lipes at the intermission, which was a delight. Um... Did I ever tell you that story on the pod? I'll, I'll, I'll interject with a little story before I go back into the show. Um, so Ellen danced with the New York City Ballet for many years and was soloist. And when she retired, she started working in the media marketing department at New York City Ballet. And her husband, Jody Lee Lipes, who is the director of photography, would come in and work with her on... Um, ad, uh, like previews or little informational footage about various pieces or upcoming works. And when Harry and I were doing our very first job at New York City Ballet, this would have been back in 2012, I believe, or 2013, something like that. 
um, we, every time we would be at work or go into the ballet to watch the piece or go to fittings or have conversations with the lighting department, they would microphone us, they put mics on us and they would film, um, sort of from afar or occasionally up close, but, but, um, they're filming to, to make a little, a little preview feature, I think, for, for Paz de La Jolla. And several months later, Justin was like, oh, you know, did you hear they're, they're making a film, they're making a documentary about, about the making of that dance, which was, which is Ballet 422. So Jody Lee Leip's, um, was, a was around a lot, um, a very welcome presence. I felt very comfortable having Jody around filming. Um, a lot of what doesn't make it into the film would be me speaking directly into camera, which I would do frequently to kind of sabotage footage or because I, I just couldn't help myself once I got comfortable with Jody. Um, Anyways, that's the story of Ballet 422. And I got to talk with Jody and Ellen at the intermission with Meredith. And Ellen and Meredith figured out, like, how they know each other from, you know, back in the 90s at summer programs. I'm sure they must have both been at SAB or PMB at the same time. Um, the second work of the evening was Sonatine after the intermission, which is a little... Balanchine danced to Ravel piano music and Indiana Woodward and Anthony Huxley danced it just so beautifully just so beautifully the dance is from 1975 and I wonder I wonder who it was made on I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that it was made on like K Mezzo K Mezzo or Patty McBride and Helgi? Was Helgi still in the company in 1975? I'm gonna look on my phone. I'm gonna talk to you while I get to the bottom of this. Who? Okay, let's see. Balanchine. Sonatine. Original cast. Let's see. Let's see how off I am. Oh, well, this also makes sense. Violette Verdi and Jean-Pierre Bonfou. So it's French music, and it was made for two French dancers. How very French. And Indiana is such a logical... A logical... Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Not, Not like... <laughs> Well, she's just very logical in Violette parts because they have a similar, they have a similar kind of feeling about their dancing. They're both so buoyant and effervescent and kind of like romantic at the same time. Um, but Anthony and Indiana were just great. Just terrific. Um... I didn't realize Violette had stayed in the company until the mid-70s. Uh, Balanchine would have died in 83, and I wonder if Violette was still there. Anyways, so after the pause, 
they did Black Schwan Potter with Unity Phelan, with Joe Gordon, and Sean Swazi as Rothbart in an orange velvet cape. And it was fun. I honestly can't, like, watching sort of gala Potter's or like those. For those the, that structure of a pas de deux where it's pas de deux, variation variation coda I I get so anxious there's I and so I especially this one because it's just like there's so many technical technical elements to get through <clears throat> and they both did very well Joe and 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 Unity but I, maybe it was Unity's first black swan I don't know when she came out for the coda she she started her fuetes and within I'd say four to eight fuetes she had traveled downstage at least half the distance that was available to her and she carried on sort of unfazed and I thought well hope she stops traveling and around 16 it seemed that she was pulling it back and not moving downstage but then even inching forward just a little bit with each fuete was bringing her just precariously close to the edge of the stage. And I thought, what, how, how is this going to work? Like, is Unity Phelan going to fuete into the orchestra pit? And, um, but no, Unity Phelan kind of got to fuete number 28 or 27 or so. And then sort of bailed. She, she, pulled in and, and, and just kind of waited in fourth position for the music to end in a lunge, which is fine. was absolutely fine. I much prefer that than to watch, watch Unity fail and descent, you know, fall into the pit. So then there was another intermission and Meredith had to run because she had online class. So she went to her hotel room, online class from zooming in from the west coast and so I stayed and I talked to Russell's family over the intermission and then I went to and then they did Balanchine's One X One Link and Tess and Russell danced beautifully and I'd been in conversation with Russell about this double tour that had eluded him in Faust where you take off you turn twice to the right and then you have to bring your right foot up and finish in a lunge. And so basically you have to land on your left foot and let your right foot sort of fall back. And in Faust, those hadn't worked and his weight was too forward. And it was so, I, I mean, obviously I found it funny though. You know, nobody really wants to have that happen to them on stage. But that very step in that very spacing happens yet again in his variation um, in this version of Swan Lake. And you wouldn't have known it was the same dancer. He absolutely nailed the double tours. It was uncanny. It's absolutely uncanny. And then the whole variation was just so beautiful. And in the very, very last double tour where he's meant to finish yet again in a lunge in a fourth position, quasi this time, he sort of did. I mean, like, he landed on his left foot and his right foot was behind, but he then took a little catch step and finished in Tandu. It was strange. And I thought, I wonder if Russell hadn't planned how to finish that double tour, but indeed he had, and he doesn't know exactly what happened. But we had a good laugh. 
Um, Tess was glamorous and and strong and jumping as high as ever and dancing as quickly as ever and doing her little entrechicot passes traveling upstage at lightning speed with with such clarity of feet and turnout and excuse me I needed a sip of water but it was lovely to see and to talk with Russell's family after and then Ian Hussey and Rus and Russell and Russell's boyfriend Patrick and I walked through the rain to the train and had and took the train downtown together. It was really raining and I, I was really soaked by the time I got home. Um, so that was the ballet. I went to the ballet. And uh, Balanchine's One X One Lake is odd and I haven't seen it in a long time. And um, it has these two variations for... Um, Swans. It was Megan Lacrone and Mary Elizabeth Sell, and um, one of the variations. I honestly, have I don't know the music. I don't know what that music is. So, um, I'm gonna listen to the New York City Ballet's behind the music or behind hear the music podcast about Swan Lake, and hopefully, Andrew Litton or whomever is moderating the discussion will um will let me know because I just need to know. I need to thank God there's a podcast. There's 30, 30 core swads. There's so many. New York City Ballet is big. Big company. Um, so I went to Seattle over the weekend. Which, so last you heard from me, it was Friday. And then I got on a plane on Saturday morning. And I arrived in Seattle around... 2.30. I waited half an hour in the airport, at which point my friends, Garrett, who had been my... They, they're friends of the pod. They've been on an episode or two. They flew in from Boise, and we all... We met at the airport around 3, and everything worked out very nicely, and we took an Uber to Queen Anne, where we were staying basically across the street from the, the theater where the ballet performs. And, um, the ballet was paying, had put us up at the hotel, not us, but Garrett, really, because Garrett is the director of Ballet Idaho and was observing the professional division class on Monday morning to see if, um, to see if there were any job opportunities that could be created for one of the dancers. So that was nice that, that, that was taken care of. And we stayed at this hotel that was called the Maxwell or something, but really it should just be called the Pineapple because everything about that hotel is just full pineapples. It's it's pineapple USB ports, it's pineapple lamps, it's pineapple chairs, it's pineapple robes, it's pineapple toilet tissue covers, it's pineapple cookies that behind that they give you when you go to your room. It's I don't know I don't know where this comes from, but when you check into the hotel which is really just in a, just, you know, this Queen Anne area is just sort of slightly outside the kind of main metropolitan area of Seattle. And there's nothing around it that's sort of re recreational as far as the outdoors go. But when you check into the hotel, they said, you know, I just, we just want to let you know this is a resort hotel. 
And I thought, well, I don't know how, how I, I suppose it's just, it's all in the pineapples really. So anyways, we got settled in our room and then we decided to do a nostalgia dinner and go down, down Mercer street, Mercer street. Nobody knows. Nobody cares to Tup Tim Thai, which was a favorite Thai restaurant of ours when we were in school there in the late nineties, early two thousands. And Tup Tim Thai is closed. And in fact, it must have closed recently, but someone had spray painted on the side of the building, R.I.P. Tup Tim Thai. And they had a um, food safety or cleanliness posting on the door that said, okay. So anyways, no more Tup Tim Thai. So we went to another Thai restaurant of which there are many within within the block, basically. And, um, and then we went to see Jean-Christophe Mayo's Romeo and Juliet on Saturday night because Garrett had gotten tickets for it from the company and we saw Elizabeth Murphy and Lucien Postlewaite do Romeo and Juliet. It's not my favorite production by any means, um, but there are things to enjoy about it. There's something about the the way that the story is told by Friar Lawrence, that's vaguely interesting. Um, and some of the costumes are nice, beautiful fabrics. Anyways, Elizabeth and Lucienne were really beautiful. And Miles Pertle was great as the Friar. And, and anyways, so the show ended. I did end up seeing one person I know. I thought, wow, I'm not going to see anyone I know because I've, I just haven't been here for so long. Um, cause I, I did leave Seattle over 20 years ago. So then, but I did see Katrina Poppy's sister, Jillian Poppy at the intermission who came up to me and said hello, which was very nice. Okay. So then it's a camp. This is not interesting to any of you. Can't be. This is absolutely absurd. So then I, the next day, or we go to sleep the next day. I have like not slept in a room with another person. And I, I honestly don't know how long. In a very long time. And so I felt subcon not subconscious. So I felt what's that word? Can you help me? Con conscious? No. Self conscious. Oh my god. I was feeling self conscious because you know, I, I know that I have a history of snoring and as it turns out, I was breathing loudly and they put on a, a white noise thing from one of their phones, which I guess helped. But after a good night's sleep, we woke up and we did a nice FaceTime with Meredith Webster, who is in fact in New York. So, you know, but we all wanted, we know as with Garrett and Courtney, we wanted to talk to her together. And then we went to brunch with our old friend, Kylie Kitchens, who had danced at PNB for many years after we had been in school there together. And she brought along her beautiful daughter and we had just the nicest time catching up after so long. And then we got ready and we went to the show to see Noelani's last performance. And um, who should we see first when we arrive in the theater? But none other than Jeffrey Stanton. Um, now that name means not a lot to most of you, but means a lot to me because I was 
I was more or less obsessed with Jeff Stanton when I was um, in the professional division at Pacific Northwest Ballet, and and he called over the balcony to me, and I looked up and I said, oh, wouldn't it just be so? And we collected our tickets and walked up the steps, and I got to say hello to Jeff Stanton after these many, 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 many years. Now, Jeff um, and I were two P&B friends who attended um, Noe's first wedding many, 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 many years ago in Hawaii. And, um, you know, that was such a thrill for me because, you know, my only kind of, I had had limited interactions with Jeff Stanton um, when I was living in Seattle, though, you know, we were in the same building every day, but I was just sort of admiring him through a window. Um, or, you know, staring at him across the room. But then he, there we were in, in Hawaii together and as sort of like the two youngish ballet people, well, I was very young, to be honest. I was, I was 20, 23 or 24, which means that Jeff was 33 or 34. So at any rate, we kind of stuck around together and, and had fun with Noe's wild aunt Tanya and we, this is now, I'm talking about Hawaii now, in case, which I, I just need to remind myself. I'm talking about Hawaii in the early 2000s, <laughs> where I was for a wedding. <clears throat> I stayed in a hostel. Was that true? I think that's true. And I decided to extend my stay by one day so that I could do this like beach event with Noe's family. And Jeff offered um, to let me stay in his hotel room, which I thought, well, this is it. You know, like, this is the moment. And it wasn't, but we had a nice time, and I did sleep on his pull-out couch. And, um, but wow, that was provocative for me, and, you know, thrilling for an inexperienced young man. And, um, nothing sexual transpired between us, unfortunately. Um, but now Jeff has a gorgeous boyfriend, Brad, who is, in fact, younger than me if you can believe it. So, anyways, but, you know, the difference from from 41 to 51, who even cares? Who even cares at that point? So, um, so Jeff was there, said hello, went and watched the show, Noe was gorgeous. I had a long talk with Leslie Rausch, our classmate, at the intermission. She seems to be one of the last people standing, along with Josh Grant. And then Noe performed the second act beautifully and it was so touching and we stood up through the many bows and flowers and curtain calls and cried into our masks and um, and I got to talk with Lucien and Stefan, old friends, um, out in the lobby and then we went to the hotel for a minute and got ready for the after party. I don't know, I'm only telling you this because it's what happened. It is what happened this week. Um, and at the after party... It was just like seeing all these faces from so long ago. And how do you even, what do you do when you haven't seen someone in 20 years? You know, what do you talk about? It was strange. And I, I did have like meaningful interactions with one of our teachers, Miss Polkinen, and, um, I did have 
a longer period of conversation with Jeff and his boyfriend during which I was, I was crazy. I was fairly manic and I had him try my shoes at one point and, you know, I don't know that I embarrass myself. I think Jeff expects me to behave strangely around him. So there we go. Um, but it was so nice catching up with Dylan and Elle, who I'd seen earlier, uh, in the fall, I guess. And Dylan sadly is injured with a tibial fracture. And I told Dylan that, um, he can take over the podcast for a while if he needs something to do, but he didn't even know I had a podcast. So, but maybe I'll have Dylan on as a guest and we'll see where it goes. And then I can pawn off the pod on Dylan for a bit. Um, I fanned out on Ashton Edwards, obviously, which was fun. And I, um, I, I, I hope Ashton will one day talk with me on the podcast. Ashton, you know, I'm a fan and I know you've listened to the pod. So Ashton, let's do a zoom. Um, contact me via the, via, via the, what's it called? Instagram. Um, what else happened? I got to talk with Noe only very briefly, but because she is moving east to Carlisle, I feel as if I'm going to see a lot more of Noe in the next decade of our lives, since I've seen very little of Noe in the last 20 years. But, you know, Noe was a, so wonderful to have as a roommate during that time because it was a difficult, it was a difficult time and an uncertain time. And, you know, Garrett and I at a certain point weren't getting along and, and Noe was kind of the middleman and she was so like fair about the whole thing. And she, I felt like she really took care of me and I can't tell you how beautifully she still dances and which makes these kinds of retirements like ever more sad, but beautiful. And it is best to finish up when you, when you're still feeling strong and, and supple. Anyways, ah, ah, life goes on. Have I seen anything else? I watched, um, I watched the Friday night performance of Four Quartets and I cried thinking about it being Jason's, the last time I'd watched Jason dance, Jason Collins, and um, yeah, it was very moving. It's a, it's a great piece and I'm glad people in New York got to see it and seemed to enjoy it very much. Um, do I have anything else to tell you? What are you watching? What are you watching, everybody? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so enjoying the Gilded Age. It's just, it's like eating Sour Patch Kids for a while, you know, just like, it's nice. And, you know, I don't really know where it's going to go. I mean, at this point we have like butlers being snarky to each other about table settings. And I'm like, this is the TV I want to watch. You know, I want to, I want people to, to throw shade at each other because the cups are in a line as opposed to a square. Ah, oh, 
love that stuff. Love looking at all these peculiar dresses that are so obviously made by Eric Winterling just yesterday. You know, I don't know who designed them, but they're, they're really fresh looking. They, they, they're hot off the presses, one might say. And how many of these elaborate gowns do people have in their closets? They better start repeating. I do think Carrie Kuhn's character finally repeated a dress. C Carrie Kuhn, you know, she talks like that. She doesn't, she doesn't open her mouth when she speaks. Oh, what is his name? Something Russell. Oh, Mr. Russell. Um, so the man who plays Mr. Russell is very, very good looking. Um, Morgan Spector, if you're, if you want to look into it and you can find some stuff on the internet. So get ye typing to the Google. Um, did I see any other dance? No. I mean, I just had the, such a nice time being with Courtney and Garrett and talking about our lives and the stresses of being a ballet director and so interesting, you know, like to hear about what all those kinds of responsibilities, very few that I'd want, but, um, interesting nonetheless. And I, I really feel for them. It's a really hard job. Um, anyways, I love them. I, you know, they're family and Laurel, I got to FaceTime Laurel while I was at I think what it's called now Metropolitan Market, but it used to be our Larry's Market in Seattle and Laurel. Laurel has fond, she has an affinity for Seattle, I'll say. And so I FaceTimed her from Metropolitan Market and I did a little walk around town. And, and Seattle was really delivering for her. It was a dreary, rainy day. Seattle is the most unstylish place in the world. I have to say, it's the antithesis of style. Just all the surfaces and all the buildings and the interiors, it's, just, it's hard to believe, really. I've never been in the new, in the new theater, the new opera house. Is it the opera house or? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think the opera and the ballet perform there, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's a specially designated opera house. But the renovation happened after I left, so it had to have happened in like 2000 three, four, somewhere around that, maybe, maybe even later, the surfaces inside, all the walls, and it's truly like, you can't believe that they made all these choices that were clearly going to look dated within a year or two, and expensive decisions, these are expensive decisions, anyways, I can't believe it, think teal and dark purple, and you're getting close, um, so maybe that's it for today. I have great news, which is that tomorrow I'm going to spend some time with Russell Jansen and we are going to talk through the end of feelings or facts because we have in fact finished the book. And so for those of you who are real dance and stuff heads who have read the book and are joining along with us next week will be the completion of um, feelings or facts book club and hopefully Russell and I will decide on a another book to move into and hopefully we'll get some 
some other friends to come along the journey with us. If you have a suggestion for us, please um, send it into my DMs on Instagram or, um, yeah, whatever you want. Um, send it to the email, um, which is with dance and stuff at gmail.com. I believe. Is that right, Barbara? Barbara Fink writes to me at with dance and stuff at gmail.com, but I mean, well, I could check, but I'm not going to. But I won't. But I won't. So this week is a, is a 30, 37 minute episode, and that, that, that's not bad, right? We talked about dance, we talked about stuff. I even shared a recipe. So I bid you farewell. And um, I'll see you for a more conventional episode next week. Loves you. Bye-bye.